This past Tuesday was the 10th anniversary of Shirley and I beginning our ministry here at Cedar Crest. Hard to believe, 10 years. But we are continually thankful to the Lord for giving us the privilege to minister here. Of our 47 years in full-time ministry, these past 10 years have been some of the most fulfilling and rewarding. And we thank the Lord every day for the privilege of serving him here. And you know, a major reason has been the evidence of the grace of God at work in this church family. That is a great encouragement to see God at work in your lives. And coincidentally, in the biblical text we want to look at today, the Apostle Paul is writing to some New Testament churches and commending them for the evidence of the grace of God that's uh, uh, evidenced in their lives. Then I would ask you to take a Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at chapter 8 and 9 this morning. And... Uh, that's page 967, if you're using one of the Bibles that uh, you'll find there uh, in the pew. And uh, you'll notice how he begins these uh, comments to, this, uh, to the church. He says in verse 1 of chapter 8, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, Paul is not talking here about saving grace. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace he's talking about here is what we would call sanctifying grace. That is the grace that gives us the desire and the power to do God's will. It says in Philippians, work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you both to will that's the desire, and to do, that's the carrying out of his will. So this is his enabling grace at work in our lives that Paul is talking about here. And just a little background on chapter 8 and chapter 9. Uh, about a year earlier, Paul was taking an offering in the churches in, the, in that area uh, to help the believers back in, uh, in Jerusalem. And about a year earlier, the church in Corinth had made a promise. They had said, we want to give to that offering. They made a promise. And now Paul is writing to them to tell them, okay, now it's time to, uh, you know, now it's time to complete, complete your promise. That's what he's actually encouraging them as you read chapters 8 and chapter 9 here. In other words, the offering that he is describing here was a special offering to be used to help people who were far away from these churches, but they were, they were in need. So it was not an offering that the Corinthians were going to spend on their own church. This, this, was not, this offering referred to here was not in place of, but it was in addition to the regular giving of their tithes and offerings to their home church at Corinth. You understand what I'm saying? This is a special offering that they had said they want to participate in. It's over and above their regular giving to the church at Corinth. Now, we use the term, we call it faith commitment giving. That's something that was, that uh, term was probably uh, coined maybe 100 years ago. Uh, faith commitment giving to talk about the principles here. Now, it's important, I think, for all of us to understand that the, the funds for sending our Cedar Crest missionaries so that others might come to, to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those funds come from two primary channels. Um, and by the way, if you use offering envelopes, they're both listed on that envelope. One says operating fund. The other says faith commitment. And by the way, if you don't use offering envelopes, you really should. 
I believe this is one of the greatest helps to be a disciplined, systematic, faithful giver to the Lord, which is what the Lord wants us to be. And uh, if you don't use these, I would encourage you to stop by a table out in the hallway today and sign up to get, to get envelopes for 2014. Uh, we have used them for many years, and uh, they're always right there in my desk drawer. And uh, so every Friday or Saturday when I, when I go to uh, take care of that, uh, they're right there. And I also make it a practice to keep my faith commitment slip, this is one for 2013, right with my envelopes. So I'm reminded... I do it once a month with my faith commitment. People can do it different ways. But my slip is right there with my envelopes. So it's always a reminder to me of my faith commitment and uh, the need to, to uh, do that. So the operating fund here is all of the regular tithes and offerings that are given by this church family. That goes into the operating fund. And every year the Board of Elders... Uh, make up a budget and they take a certain portion of that, that uh, operating fund and they put that towards missions, a certain portion of it. But then in addition to that, we have the faith commitment offering. And those commitments are made during our GO conference each year. You should have received one of these slips in an envelope. Uh, and uh, we encourage everyone to pray and ask the Lord, what would you have me trust you for in the next year to be able to give towards the outreach of the gospel through Cedar Crest? And that's what this form is. It's a faith commitment slip. And we encourage everyone. I, I encourage young people, teenagers, to make a faith commitment to the Lord. Lord. There's much the Lord will teach you through that kind of giving. Now, I did a bit of research this week, and I found that by the Lord, by His grace, that He has enabled us as a church to give the following amounts toward outreach over the past 10 years. I'm just talking about 10 years. I've been here 10 years, so I only went back 10 years. Uh, I didn't have time, actually, to go back. to It would be interesting to go all the way back. But do you realize... This is amazing. Do you realize that in the past 10 years, the Lord, by His grace, has enabled this church family to give towards the outreach of the gospel through the operating fund giving almost $2.5 million? Is that not amazing? Praise the Lord, right? He's the giver. He's the giver. It's a cause for praise. If we had time, we'd stop and sing to God be the glory, right? Great things he has done. He is the giver. He gives through us. But not only that, I discovered that in our faith commitment offering over the past 10 years, we have given just over $1 million through faith commitment. So it's a total of $3.5 million over the past 10 years through this church body for the cause of the gospel. That is God's grace at work in our lives. And we praise him for that. We don't take any credit for that. But I have found that over 40 years of personal involvement and faith commitment giving that I need to, from time to time, be reminded of the basic principles involved in that kind of giving. And so every four years or so, I like to go back and be reminded. So some of you have heard this before, but many of you have not heard it before, and some of you have heard it before may not remember. So I'm going to go back today, and I'm going to remind us all of the principles involved in what we call faith commitment giving. What are the biblical principles involved in that? And we find them right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. It's interesting, in these two chapters, Paul at least six times refers to the offering that they were going to give as the grace of God at work in their lives. He calls it an act of grace, this giving. 
And you know that the fact, the fact is that generous giving for the spread of the gospel is one of the strongest evidences of God's grace at work in our lives. It really is. When, when, when God gives and flows through us for the outreach of the gospel, that's one of the greatest evidences of his grace at work in our lives as Christians. Now I want you to notice here in chapter 8 some characteristics of this faith commitment giving. Paul is challenging, as I said, the Corinthian Christians to give by faith. And in order to challenge them, he holds up some churches in the region of Macedonia, probably where he was writing this letter from. He holds up the Macedonian churches as an example for us. And I am a challenge to new every time I read of the example of the Macedonian churches. What a challenge they are. I don't want to point out to you very quickly here what I consider four important characteristics of this type of giving that Paul mentions right here in these first few verses. Notice four characteristics of faith commitment giving. First of all, it is sacrificial giving. It is sacrificial giving. Notice verse 1 and verse 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you notice that the Macedonian churches had experienced great difficulty? Paul said they had experienced a great ordeal of affliction. The fact of the matter is that they lived in a very impoverished province at that time that had been ravaged by wars. It was a difficult time for these people in Macedonia. And as a result, he says, they were experiencing, he says, extreme poverty. Severe economic suffering that causes a person to become a beggar is what he's referring to here. But amazingly, the circumstances did not get, keep them from giving to this offering. In fact, if you notice there, Paul says they gave in a wealth of generosity. He says they demonstrated rich generosity even though they were living in deep poverty. Now, I have never had the experience of giving out of deep poverty. And I doubt that many Christians in America have ever had the experience of giving out of deep poverty. The kind these people were experience, experiencing. Yes, we face economic challenges these days. But my friend, you realize that if you earn $10,000 annually, annually, you are among the top 9% of the people in the world in income. Do you realize that if you have food in the fridge, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, you are richer than 75% of the people in this world if you have just those basics. And some of you who have traveled overseas know what that is like. And know that that is true. But always remember this. The issue is not how much we give, but how much it costs us to give it. Jesus spelled it out this way. Listen, in Mark 14, it tells us there many rich people were throwing in large amounts of money into the offering there. But a poor widow came in and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And you know what Jesus said? He was watching what was going on. This is what he said. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on, she put in. He said she gave more than the rest, not in amount, but in what it cost her to give. Jesus recognized that. Someone has written these words, By the gates of the treasury still he sits and watches the gifts we bring, and he measures the gold that we give to him by the gold to which we cling. 
That's how he measures our giving. God does not see the portion. He sees the proportion of our giving. The Macedonians gave out of deep poverty. Like the poor widow, they gave sacrificially. Now, according to what this is saying, we, when we have experienced the grace of God in our lives, we will not use difficult circumstances as an excuse not to give. And during a time of economic downturn, we soon find out what the priorities are in our life. I find a good question to ask from time to time is this. Would God characterize my giving to missions for the outreach of the gospel as sacrificial as he looks at my checkbook and my lifestyle and my priorities? Their giving was sacrificial. Second characteristic, notice, their giving, it was supernatural giving. All right? By that I mean it was above and beyond the normal. It was seeing God work in their lives to enable them to give. Look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means. We would say, praise the Lord. That's, that's all you can ever expect from anybody. They gave according to their means. But read on. As I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will. Now, how can anybody give beyond their means? There's only one way I know, and that's by faith. That's by a supernatural work of God in my heart and giving me the ability to give beyond my faith, providing beyond, beyond what I, my, my means. I call that a supernatural work of God in my life. You know what it says in Hebrews 11.1 1 about faith? Listen, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. We don't see it. And we are hoping and we're trusting God for it. That is faith. I, I believe that faith always involves the supernatural. God at work in our lives. And I believe faith commitment giving for missions is stepping out in faith and seeing God supernaturally work to provide that need. And I know that many could share the experience of doing that. Stepping out, not knowing where it's going to come from, and seeing God provide. Third characteristic I want you to notice here, it was, I would call it, spontaneous giving. And by that it mean, I mean it flowed, it was out of the overflow of their hearts. No, look at verse 4. <laughs> Paul says they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You, they were begging Paul because you know what? I think Paul was saying to those Macedonian believers, no, 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 no. You, you don't have to participate. You know, he knew their financial condition. He's saying, no, 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 you don't need to participate. He said, Paul, let us give. We want to give. Uh, our joy will not be complete until it overflows to meet the needs of others. Please let us give. What an amazing people they were at Macedonia. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, grace not only frees us from our sins, but it frees us from ourselves. The grace of God will open your heart and your hand so that your giving is not the result of cold calculation. Oh, well, let's see how much. What's the minimum I can give and get by? But it will be warm-hearted jubilation. It will be spontaneous. Lord, I want to give. I want to give. So the Macedonians' giving was a spontaneous and joyful overflow of their love for the Lord. It was not a burden. They gave because they wanted to. And I trust that our giving to the Lord is out of an overflow of a heart of joy. Not a burden. Not a burden when we sit down to write those, those checks. And the last characteristic I want you to see is it was what I would call spiritual giving. And you say, why do you say it was spiritual giving? Because you know it's possible for giving to be done in a very carnal or legalistic manner. You know, I'm doing it because this is what I, you know, the Lord wants me to do and I'm doing it. What made their giving so different? Well, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. 
Before they gave this offering, they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, their giving was an outward expression. They had given all they were and all they have to the Lord. But they realized that it all belonged to the Lord, right? All they were and all they had. You see, if we give ourselves totally to the Lord, Lord, here I am, everything, here I am, everything I have, everything I am belongs to you, and I want you to use it for your honor and glory, well, we will have little problem giving our substance to him. And I believe that's the basis of all Christian giving. It is an act of worship and surrender to the Lord of all that he has entrusted to us. The hymn writer put it well in these words. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone. A trust, the Lord, from thee. Right? Everything that you and I have is a trust. We've been given a trust to use it for his honor and for his glory. Not for our purposes. So these amazing Macedonian believers give us, I believe, the foundational characteristics for faith commitment giving. One, it is sacrificial. It's going to cost me. Secondly, it is supernatural. It's above and beyond. It's stepping out in faith and seeing God supply. It's spontaneous, an overflow of my love for the Lord and his grace in my life. It's not a burden. It's not an obligation. And finally, it's spiritual. It's the result of a total surrender of my life to the Lord. And by the way, the challenge that Paul gave to the Corinthians rings down through the centuries to every one of us who claim Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Look at his last statement at the end of verse 7. This rings down to all of us. Paul says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. God wants us as believers to excel in this grace. That's what he's saying. He's challenging the Corinthians. He's challenging us. See that you excel in this grace also. I believe that scripture makes clear that our Lord's desire is that we would excel in the grace of giving so that the world may know of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, very quickly, I also want you to see some of the consequences of this kind of giving because Paul goes on and spells out a number of them here. I only have time to mention two. What are the consequences of that kind of giving to the Lord? First of all, in chapter, we're going over to chapter 9 now. If you'll jump over to chapter 9, we're going to begin at verse 6. First thing Paul says is, that kind of giving will bring blessing to ourselves. We, we will be blessed. Do you know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6? Listen. Listen to these words of our Lord. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Do we really believe that? That's Jesus speaking. He said, for the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And now Paul reminds the Corinthians that that promise of the Lord is still true. It's still true. Notice, he says, we will be blessed by reaping in the measure that we sow. Look at verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know that if a farmer hoards the seed and keeps it in the barn, he's not going to have a harvest. He has to get out and he has to sow the seed. And the farmer who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You see, the harvest is directly proportional to the amount of seed we sow. That's what it's saying here. You know, according to Scripture, faith commitment giving can become a never-ending cycle 
of harvest. Never-ending cycle. As we give by faith, God gives back so that we can continue to give and give even more. And I know that many of us here could testify to how the Lord works when we step out in faith and give that way. Multitudes of Christians have experienced the truth, this truth, through faith commitment giving. But you know, not only do we reap in the measure that we sow, but notice we are blessed by reaping even while we're sowing. Even while we're sowing, we are blessed. Look at verse 8. This is an amazing verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, God is saying, if you step out in faith and make a commitment to give as he provides, he will provide all that you need. Is that not a promise he's making there? Did you notice the alls? <laughs> all sufficiency, all, at all times, God is going to meet my needs. And look what he says in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. So one of the joys of faith commitment giving is the joy of giving more and more. My friend, you may have heard this said, but it's true. You cannot outgive God. Now, my, I want to make clear. We are not talking about the prosperity gospel here. There's a lot of baloney, especially on television. Sow your seed. And then, you know, you get this, you get this car, you get this home, you get this. That's a bunch of baloney, to put it in Pennsylvania Dutch terms. Uh, <clears throat> I grew up in Lebanon County, so... This is not the prosperity gospel we're talking about here. This is a generosity gospel. This is not saying I give to the Lord so that I can get more for myself. What he's saying is here, I give to the Lord. He gives more back to me so that I can give more. That's what he's saying here. This is generosity gospel here. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, while speaking at a missions conference, said this, In all of my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed, has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to get back to me much more than I can give. And I think it's talking about in spiritual and eternal blessings that God is going to give back to me. We're blessed personally by this kind of giving. But not only that, and more importantly, notice what he says here. It will bring blessing and glory to the Lord. Look, look at the beginning at verse 11. This is interesting here. He says, notice, it will through the last phrase of verse 11, it through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There's going to be thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 12. He says, it is overflowing in many what? Thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 13. Uh, because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution, uh, they will glorify God. God is glorified, Paul says, through this kind of giving. God enriches us so that we can give and God receives the thanksgiving and glory. You know, it, it is, again, and go back, it is amazing that God the giver has given us the privilege that through our hands we could give $3.5 million over the past 10 years to the, to the cause of the gospel. That's a great privilege that God has given to us. And we can't take that lightly. That's a great trust that God has given to us. And as we faithfully and generously give to the support of global outreach, you know, a day is coming, the Bible tells us, when people from every tribe and tongue and nation will overflow in their expressions of thanks to God for our faithfulness in giving. Believers in many lands give praise to God that missionaries were sent through your faithful giving. There are Sandawi believers who give thanks to God because of your generous giving. And we look forward today that when there will be Alagua and, and Dengareko and Batumbi who will give glory to God.
And John's just back from Tanzania and could tell us a lot about what happened with the Alagua team when he was there with the debrief. And by the way, three weeks from today, we're going to have the privilege of having Emma Shilakali, who was the leader, the Tanzanian leader of the team, of the Alagua team for three years. He's going to be right here. We're going to have a joint Sunday school class, and we're going to hear from that team and from Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, I'm sure, is one that would thank God for the, the missionaries that were sent years ago that brought the gospel to Tanzania, that he today knows the Lord, and he's the leader of a team that's taking the gospel to those who need to hear. He says, they will glorify God because of your submission and your generosity. My friend, does our faithful, sacrificial giving to missions have any lasting effect? Absolutely. Absolutely. It has an eternal effect. And not only that, in the midst of it all, we experience the joy. And God gets the glory. Such a deal. Right? We have the joy and God gets the glory. And so I would say to you, my friend, if you have never experienced the joy of faith commitment giving, I would challenge you to step out in faith and look to the Lord for what he would have you to trust him for in 2014. And over the next two weeks, I'd ask you to pray and then come on the 20th, two weeks from today, with your slip. And it says on there, explains it, how you uh, tear it in half, that this is what I'm going to trust God for to enable me to give in this coming year for the cause of the gospel. But I want you to notice how Paul finishes this passage. He began it by talking about God's grace. He closes it by talking about the grace of God. Look at chapter 9, verse 15, how he closes Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The greatest grace gift that was ever given, Paul says, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The greatest act of grace was God giving the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, by grace, gave his all, his one and only Son. And Jesus Christ, by grace, he gave all and he laid down his life for you and me. Back in chapter 8, uh, verse 9, I, I didn't get to read that verse, but notice that verse. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich, spiritually and eternally rich. He was willing to leave the splendors and glory of heaven to come to this earth and die on the cross and give us the gift of salvation. And this morning, these elements before us are a visible reminder of God's indescribable love and grace expressed in the great gift of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 